So welcome everyone to the first IBI Thought Leaders uh, session in this series, Thought Leaders on Digital Transformation. Um, we are delighted to have Professor Piero Formica here today, who is a world leading expert in transformation, enterprise and innovation research. And Piero, the source of the research that he will be discussing today is research he's conducting with um, his colleagues here in the Innovation Valley Institute in Maynooth University, but also in other universities across Europe. And that research is centering on One Health um, and in particular transformative enterprises, um, well-being and education of the knowledge economy in the digital age. Uh, so I'm going to hand over now to Piero and just to let you all know if you have any questions during or after the presentation and um, you can enter them all in the chat box and Piero will get to as many of them as possible at the end. So Piero, I'll hand over to you. Thank you very much, Grace, very kind. And uh, first of all, thank you for the invitation. And uh, let me say in the words of Cicero and Shakespeare, respectively, I wish you at the beginning of the year, motus animi continuus and the salad days, which means a youthful time accompanied by inexperience, inexperience, eh? enthusiasm and idealism. Well, let me start by highlighting some of the transformative milestones of entrepreneurship. Debating the concept of a transformative enterprise is nothing new. Rather, instead, it is a dive into the great sea of entrepreneurial history. Among the scholars of this history, I like to recall the eminent economist William Bomol, co-author of a master-read book, The Invention of Enterprise. In archaic trade, entrepreneurial individuals played a key role, the truck and barter, as Adam Smith said. Medieval Italian commenda and compagnia and the Arabic Mukarada practice administered advances of money and inventors from their buckets. Renaissance Bottega, today translated as co-working space, nurtured the talents, new techniques, and artistic forms came to light. Artists were competing and ready to work together. With the Industrial Revolution, the transformation of the enterprise takes place with Frederick Taylor, scientific management of Fordism, the system of mass production pioneered in the early 20th century by the Ford Motor Company. 
towards the maturity of industrialization, still based on atoms, not on bit, the wake of Milton Friedman, the enterprise in the wake of Milton Friedman, the enterprise revolves around the shareholder primacy and profit maximization. With the blossoming of the bits, more generally of the digital economy, and the emergence of the ecological conundrum, we are faced with a new transformation. Is a return to the future. The Renaissance workshop reappears as an entrepreneurial enterprise instead of the managerial one. People are co-creators and intrapreneurs rather than mere performers of tasks assigned top-down. Neither geniuses nor solid rebels, intrapreneurs are generators of cognitive conflicts that contribute much to breaking entrenched rules. We are facing three transformations nowadays, digital, ecological, and behavioral. This triad constitutes what I call a grand transformation, conducive to entrepreneurial transformation, and hence the emergency of transformative enterprises, while one health is making headway. One health is the set of economy, the health of humans and all other living animal and plant species on earth and natural objects such as rivers, lakes, seas and mountains. All are closely linked. The design and implementation of one health hinge on the grand transformation. Here I focus on digital transformation in conjunction with the entrepreneurial transformation, which encompasses ecological and behavioral transformation. Transformations must reflect the peculiarities of nature as highlighted by polymath Pierre Simon Laplace, who observed infinitely varied in his effects Nature is simple only in its causes, and its economy consists in producing a great number of phenomena, often very complicated, by means of a small number of general laws. A quick look at the numbers of the digital transformation lead us for now to the conclusion that Europe is lagging behind the United States and China, as slide four and five show. Begin with digital, a bit of the slide four. The digital of a business across Europe in the last year is 11% plus. Digitalization of public services, 80%. Percent of a 5G connection in Europe, 2.4, in the States, 15, and in China, 30. In slide five, we see 
the tech comms companies. Over 100 operators in Europe with an average customer basis of 4.4 million compared with 95 million states, 400 million in China. So there is a sort of hyperfragmentation which has led to a 10 year revenue decline of 13%, while the United States grew by 30 and China by 59%. Concerning these tech comms companies, they are telecom heritage companies, which continue their efforts through the digital transformation of their operation to pivot from being just a telco to customer engagement and services development processes. Now, the question is how to cope with fragmentation? You see there are in this slide six, two uh, options. My favor goes to option two. That is intervening on the culture to transform the modus operandi of the company and intervening on the digital transformation to dovetail it with the transformative enterprise is a, a, double, a double link. Let's see now which roads to take. The background scenario is road number one. Digital giants dictate the conditions of a digital transformation. What has happened today? Most companies will live as vassals at best and most of them as a power source in their fiefdoms. And people as citizens and consumers will be no more than babas or vassals and even worse, enslaved people. Road to enterprises transform themselves and lead the digital transformation. They are the leader of digital transformation. There is a compromise. If there were an interest in a middle way, companies in any case should transform themselves to negotiate with the looming giants. Now, if we are convinced that the business transformation is the way forward, then let's look at the founding principles of transformative enterprises and their orientation. I focus my attention on three founding principles. First one, the wealth creation is not exclusive to entrepreneurs and shareholders, but encompasses workers, the natural environment and civil society. Even a way to reduce the large gap between the very rich and the very poor. The transformative enterprise shifts its attention and available resources from solving the problems inherited from behaviors that conforms to the conventional wisdom to exploiting the opportunities arising from a new vision that make it listen to nature and recognize its relevance, recognize its relevance. 
So the transformative enterprise realizes that its activity depends on the value generated by natural ecosystems. We need to delete this econo external diseconomies, people and other human, other species which pay for the egoism of, of some of the corporate world. The transformative enterprise questions the GDP that measure production while neglecting, neglecting the well-being of the all living. I used to say, if you have a, a nice meadow where there are bees, trees, and animals, and then we replace this with a building, and no more bees, no more animals, no more trees, what's happened? We lost the services of the bees, the service of the trees, the service of the animals, and the result is our well-being will be in danger. But the services of the bees, the services of the animal, and the services of the trees are not a part, are not a member of this GDP club. And this is a big issue. Now, the orientation of a transformative enterprise. In my view, this orientation should, should be holistic, as I said before. Transformative enterprises are concerned with the social and the economic community as a whole in which they operate. Is heuristic. Transformative enterprises prefer bottom-up learning. Each member discovers things from himself and learns with peers from experiences gained from experiments. Third point is moral, or if you prefer the code of conduct, the code of conduct. High standards of fairness and honesty shape the behavior of individuals and the enterprises. Now, business behavior is amoral. Although law abiding, company speaks with a self-interested voice. The result is opportunistic rent extraction. Not always, but, but in most of few cases. On the other end, transformative enterprises make sensible decisions in the interest of all. Concerning this uh, topic, this theme, I suggest you read what Martin Wolf wrote on Financial Times January, January 19, days ago. Business leaders able to play a better political role. Now I move to the last slide, then I leave you the floor to debate. So summing up, I would like to say this. We are in the garden of a digital transformation. The tree of new technologies flourishes to benefit humanity and nature. If the soil, if fertilized and the tree cared for by the gardeners transformative enterprises. The garden is a transdisciplinary space. This is often a big issue for university schools 
the vertical education should be replaced by a transdisciplinary education. The transformative enterprise move from the bureaucratic model that demands conformity to rules to the human-centered model that exalts the creative contribution of each individual. The humanocracy of the ideators replaces the aristocracy of the administrators. Humanocracy is the word used by Professor Amele Zanini in the, the book called Humanocracy, published by Harvard Business Review in last next month on March about ideators. So I published an essay. The, the, publish, the publisher is Emerald in the UK. So let me say that the dictum for transformative enterprise should be the Latin proverb festina lente, make est slowly, was the proverb of the famous Augustus who changed the shape, the image, and the culture of the Roman Empire. So thank you very much for your attention and I am eager to, for, to listen to or through the chat your, your questions, your remarks, or even uh, some conflicts, some cognitive conflicts, disagreement, which is good for moving ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Piero. That was really interesting. Um, so I just want to open up the floor to any questions, comments, any responses to Piero's presentation. Uh, yes, Leif, go ahead. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Piero. This was very, very good. I like uh, both your uh, core ideas as well as the ideators uh, cover, uh, which is about the roots. Uh, my question is um, that you have three major uh, shifts taking place, the digital, ecological, and behavioral. But how about the mind? <clears throat> uh, the um, soil in between your ears, how do you see that? Is that a separate one or a fourth uh, step for the cultivation um, of ideators? Yeah, this is a big issue. And this is very hard, very hard to achieve the good result. There is a research, worldwide research years ago. This research shows that the children Till, if they are not in the school, say around till four or five uh, age, of age, four or five, they are all in some way genius. They are fantastic. They this imagination, creativity. Once you go to school, bye-bye, creativity, bye-bye, imagination. You should respond. You should answer the questions to the professor. So in some way, in the school, we live like in the world of Ptolemyus. We know everything about Ptolemyus, but Ptolemyus was wrong, not was right. So there is a, a big issue, how we can move from teaching to learning, 
from answer questions to question the professors, to raise a disagreement, to challenge the conventional wisdom. And we conduct, we can't do this through vertical specialization. Even the interdisciplinary is in some way good, but we need the fusion. We need to recreate the polymath of the enlightenment where the scientists were humanists, the humanists were scientists. Even Einstein was a good violinist, music and physics. So we need the students who can study physics and journalism, ancient Greek and chemistry. We need to fusion. Otherwise, we have not a new enlightenment. You see nowadays in the COVID, the no discussion, zero discussion or poor discussion between economists and scientists, medical scientists has generated a lot of confusion. There is a big uh, interview of yesterday on Financial Times to a prominent uh, expert in economics of, of COVID from Cambridge University. So I think specialization are important, but should be not isolated in the education. What, and uh, last, another point which can raise a lot of doubt. We have missed our common language in Europe, which was Latin. Even the economist years ago in the cover wrote, coming back to Latin lover, Latin lover was a sort of a metaphor. But nowadays we don't do this, we are forced to speak a language, which is a sort of Esperanto, more or less, and we have missed the cultural foundation of our civilization, at least in Europe and not only in Europe. So that there is a need for not a reform, the transformation, there is a difference between reform and transformation. Reform, you try to reshape the form. Transformation, you change completely the form. It's a revolution. But we don't like the word revolution. We, we call about recovery, we call about reform. And let me say in this way, we are under the heel of the pharaohs of the GDP, the pharaohs of the GDP, which is a, has been a very good measure invented during the Great Depression in the States by Professor Kutznets but was even a critical point for Keynes and the Keynes students with whom I studied. And again, in terms of, say, the mind, we used to say forecasting. We need to forecasting. We need to live, to have a mind focused on uncertainty. Keynes said, the world is, what's happening in the world is uncertain. We can't forecast shocks. Even, was, even Professor Keynes was a very good uh, student, scholar of uh, probability. So that if we don't move from the conventional education to a transformative education, we can't solve the 
great big issues which are nowadays facing all of us. This is my answer to your question. The reason for which, as you know, Leif, for um, colleagues who are here, is one of the prominent member, uh, companion of this research on transformative enterprises. And uh, Leif, incidentally, I say this is for you, uh, years ago, has been nominated the brain, is it the title is the brain of the year or something like this? Okay, <laughs> and he's a, a, a leader in the brain and mind uh, research worldwide. So I know that with Leif we share a lot of ideas uh, and I add that the question is as put uh, Leif is critical for the future of the humanity. Very good, thank you. Thank you, Leif. Does anyone else have any questions, comments, any response for Piero? If no one else is popping up with a hand, I could continue with the, why do you call it ideators? Uh, why you call it ideation? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I use this word to replace the usual word worker. We need to work. And nobody asks who can give me a job. If there are no ideas, this idea don't turn into a realization. Call it this venture companies you like. If a company, they are amoral, as not only myself uh, has been raised this issue by Martin Wolf, prominent journal and a columnist of Financial Times, what's up? So the ideator, to my mind, are the workers of the 21st century. We, we leave the work to the robot and we assume the role of the ideators. Why this? Professor Skipper, Skinner, sorry, Skinner, was Skinner, sorry. He was a, a great psychologist last century. He used to say, we humans, we worry and we are very concerned about teaching robot to think, comma. And we humans, we will continue to think we can't leave the thing to artificial intelligence. We became a slave of, of automation. So there is a tremendous need to use the word ideation, ideators, or any, any other word you like to replace the atom-based old industrial world of, of work. Back to the Renaissance Bottega, the guys in Renaissance Bottega were not workers, they were ideators, and not only artists, mecenas, engineers, all, all people who were involved in the Bottega over the Renaissance, Renaissance time. So this is the issue for his, I use the word ideation. So my quest, follow up question is where do you find ideation Bottegas? Where? Yeah, can you give me some addresses or put it in the chat board? 
And do we find them in Italy or do we find them in Middle East or Asia? Uh, you mean some examples? Yeah, ideation bottegas. I, I, I tell you, there are even in my in, in Italy. Just today, I talked to some guys in the northeast of Italy. The some associations uh, have created a, a they call a village. Uh, and this village uh, should be based on the principle I have explained before, but it's just the very beginning. Once I can say to you that are already five years that the University of Padova in Italy, which was uh, founded in 1222, so 800 years ago, this university has a lab called the Contamination Lab. Sea Lab, Contamination Lab. In the month of September, in this lab, I uh, conduct an experiment in the ideation. There are more or less 70, 80 students, undergraduate, postgraduate, PhD, young researchers from all faculties. And in teams of three to five, they experiment, it's an experimentation, how to generate and uh, put on actions ideas. Uh, this lab is the outcome of a book I published with my close dear colleague, Martin Carley, I think he's not here. I don't know if Martin is among us in this moment. From, from the IBI and Maynooth University, nowadays is the, 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 the president, the director of the Earth Academy in, in, in Dublin. And we publish a book about the experimental nature of the new venture creation. So this contamination lab should help toward the direction that you left every mind. I did some experiments in very, very strange, uh, you can't imagine. I was allowed to do this at the University of Tehran, Faculty of Entrepreneurship, at, for more or less five years at the King Saud University in Riyadh. You can't imagine that I did this in Riyadh and in Tehran. Okay, but the, the world is rich of paradoxes in some way and in some other place of Europe. So I think that uh, I am sure even UK, in Ireland, uh, even my institute, the IBI, is concerned nowadays with digital transformation and some uh, say streams, uh, some avenues, which are the outcome of our conversations, not only myself, all the colleagues together. So I am some way I'm optimistic. But the, the academia, the academia is a bureaucracy nowadays. There's a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, my age, when I was young, a guy was not in this way. And they were confused the, the good point of moving research to entrepreneurship. We need the scientific entrepreneurship, but this doesn't mean that the university should be a sort of amoral enterprises, hmm. abiding self-interest, not good. 
is very good that the research moves toward scientific emphasis. We need a lot of a scientific emphasis. Not good if the rest of the shay is the best, the dress, the habit of the abiding to law, but a moral, a moral institution. But I, I like it very much. I one final question that is perhaps a personal question. Where did you learn to think? Where did you learn to think in such a good way that you are right now? <laughs> I tell you, I, I was educated in macroeconomics uh, between Italy and Cambridge. And I began my career at the OECD in Paris as a forecaster. I was a member of the forecasting with the with colleagues, which nowadays are very, very, very good friends, my age. This happened in the 70s. And uh, through forecasting, what I saw and I understood that the post-mortem, which means what we thought in the realization, post-mortem was a big disaster for us. So I ask myself, what's about measures which are invisible measures? We measure what we see, but there are measures that are invisible and we need to discover. So I move from the tangibles to the intangibles. And through this long journey, nowadays I am 70 years, 78 years old, I reach the mountain of so-called knowledge economics. And I try to see if there is any avenue, any stream which allow us in some way quoted to measure, if it's possible, the intangibles. If there is no measure, the intangibles are always important. And I don't like, I, there's no need to quote uh, Einstein about what is important in the life. Imagination of a measure. <laughs> of course, we need to, 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 to build a bridge, we need the measure, building. Machines, of course, we need the measurement. But in the macroeconomics, all focuses on the only the only focus on on measure is not uh, the way to go ahead. Thank you. Thank you to you, Leif. Um, Margie, yes, go ahead. <laughs> so I just wanted to say hello to Piero. Um, he and I connected through LinkedIn, LinkedIn and then uh, did a Zoom call. And um, I love everything that you're saying. Um, and I'm just sitting here thinking, how do we apply it? Kind of along with Leaf's question, and you can do it at the university, but there's 8 billion people in the world. You know, so how, how do we scale this, your thoughts and, and approach? How to move, you say. How to move yeah. ahead. How to move ahead. Right, right. Turn thought into action, <laughs> right? Because we need to move the energy to get the results. Let me say this way, if uh, I try to be as much transparent as possible, not a diplomat. In Europe, I give you just an example. We have, if, if uh, apart from Cambridge and Oxford, we have not so prominent uh, in the universities uh, a publisher. 
Yale University Press, Cambridge University Press, Oxford University Press, Harvard University Press. But in continental Europe, especially where uh, I am based uh, physically in Italy, but not only. So that uh, what's happen if we counter-raise our image? That our words are not listened. So we need a sort of, may I use the word, say, marketing of what we do. No, I don't talk about myself. We need to, to promote our way of thinking. We need to create, and life has done something in this direction. Club, there is a club in which life is well involved. It has been one of the founders. We need the clubs around this club, inside this club, we can turn, we can make conversation like in the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was the outcome of the intellectual salons, in Salon Intellectuel in Paris, with Madame du Chatelet, with Madame Chatelet and the others. So we need to create these conversations. We need to move our research toward the general audience. But they need, we need people who can promote our, our work. Otherwise, we are deaf. We are deaf. So this should be the action from the university side. What I see nowadays, at least in the Mediterranean countries, say Mediterranean countries, what's, I have, for my age, for the European Union, I have attended several universities in the continent, in the, in the Mediterranean countries, give lecture. Any voice coming from the States is a gold, is a gold voice, is a diamond. And we, some, some way, we are slave of a message coming from the States. It's not good. We need to listen to what is happening in American universities. But there is a need also to raise our voice in Europe, to be even in, in, in intellectual dis positive, positive, not negative disagreement. The Chicago School with the Friedman, primacy of shareholders, maximization of profits, was the flag for years and decades. And nowadays we see the outcome. But at that time, there was a voice, voice raised by whom in Europe? So that we need this, we need to positively, if, if it's necessary, contrast. We need our imagination in Europe. My institute, the IBI, is open to this, is a very open institute, and I'm very glad to be a member of this institute in which there is a conversation like this uh, with the colleagues from different disciplines, different parts of the world, different culture, even with a disagreement. Why not? But without promotion of a conversation like in the Enlightenment time, I don't know what we can do. So nowadays what's happened at least in some country, is that the academic world, they enter into the general audience if there is a cooptation by the journalist, through the journalist. It's not good at all. 
so that we are filtered in some way. There is a sort of a, of a negative percolation. We need to speak with our voices and to be among even ourselves in contrast and disagreement. And this happened, I come back to the point, through a very a positive, a pro-reactive uh, conversations, like in the Enlightenment. This should be done. And then to make experiments in transdisciplinary studies. Uh, allow a, a student to frequent a program in history and a program in chemistry. If you read the story, different story, history, history, history of science, prominent scholar of history of science, you see how many in the past, the scientists were, I come back to my previous point, scientists and humanists, and humanists and scientists, uh, graduate in literature, a prominent physicians, especially in medicine. You understand how, how you know very well how important, how crucial it is for a, a physician to be a humanist. Since human beings in the hospital are not objects, even the, even the natural objects have a, a word to say, as I said before, all human species in the world con, con, even the even the what they call the natural objects. So the medicine is a good point to focus the, our attention on how to generate transdisciplinary studies. Thank you very much for your question. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. We probably have time for one more question if anyone has anything else to ask Piero. Yeah, I am here. I have a question uh, which is related to the former question. How can we get uh, uh, go from the good thinking to the good behavior. How can we initiate some kind of conversation chain mm -hmm. in Europe or outside Europe on your very good thinking? So um, I would su suggest that we repeat your um, session of today in a number of small um, follow-up sessions on various topics like the Bottega and the uh, intellectual saloon or the uh, cultivation routes. Uh, and it could be very interesting to have um, 30 minutes um, morning coffee or evening wine with you on that. Uh, yes, uh, this could be fantastic in my mind. And I think that if, uh, 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 the director of the IVI, my colleague, Professor Marcus Welfert, is there, or will, will uh, listen to the rec recording, uh, will appreciate what you are saying. We need exactly this. Even uh, through the digital uh, tools we have nowadays, uh, I like to suggest everybody a book, I think there is the 
uh, English translation by an Italian philosopher. The book is The Age of a Conversation. The name of this lady is Craveri, Craveri, C-R-I-V-E-R-I, Craveri in Italian, Benedetta, Benedict, Benedetta Craveri. And uh, is a, a very, a very interesting, intriguing book to read about how to generate, to build up conversations, which is not easy. Incidentally, Leif and my, my dear colleagues, Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Franklin created a club in Philadelphia and he wrote the rules of a conversation. Uh, who likes uh, to know about this? I can send the, my paper about the conversations. Yes, please. And Benjamin Franklin was a member of the Moon Society in Birmingham during the, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. The Lunar, Moon or Lunar Society in Birmingham with Wedgwood, uh, Darwin, and many other scholars, scientists. Uh, and Bolton was, Bolton was there at that time. Uh, for correspond to the member. So the club of in Philadelphia, 1700, the club of Benjamin Franklin, the Lunar Society in Birmingham, they, they were catalysts of a new world. What the catalyzation was a catalytic process, unbelievable. Entrepreneurs, scientists, artists, all together. We have missed this. We have sometimes conversation, a vertical conversation among specialists in one field. And you forget the others. So uh, I strongly recommend to, uh, to follow this, uh, this uh, could you say, this culture, the culture of a conversation. Madame du Châtelet, she was a great catalyst in Paris. How many knows that Madame Châtelet was a great scientist, there was a great translator from Greek, ancient Greek. <laughs> ancient Greek is science, is science. Why this? I come back to my point. If you leave your safe shore of knowledge, and you, you abandon the shore, you, are, you have a curiosity, you go toward the unknown, you face the uncertainty. You are an explorer. You discover new things. Even by serendipity, or not only serendipity, you discover new things. If we don't do this, we live as we are living nowadays, and the problems today, the numbers of the problems increase day after day. And this is not good for the humanity, for the new generations and the school of the new generation. It's a pity that nowadays in Europe about the schools we discuss about the digital or physical presence and not about the contents. How we able to leverage technology to use the contents in another way? <laughs> this is the issue. Not with the same contents through technology. The technology is a mean to the target. The target is to change the contents, the contents of education, to create a new educational environment. 
as it happened in the Middle Ages, once the Bologna University was founded in 1088, 1088. Who were the founders of Bologna University? The students called the scholars, or clerici bagantes, wandering students. The rector was a student, the rector or president was a student. The students, they appointed the professors and they paid the professors at the end of the lecture. This was the origin of the university in, at the, in the year 1000, 1088. Now, we, I, we don't need to repeat this. What we need is to imagine, to conceive a new academic, a new academic environment, a new school environment in which is it possible to fuse confusion, fusion, a confusion of different disciplines to generate the new society of the, this century, which begins is not so rosy as we thought at the, at the end of the 20th century. Very good. Okay, Grace, I am here. I think we have one more question if that person wants to unmute themselves and ask. I see a raised hand there. Let me face it. Yeah, uh, hello. Can you hear me? Uh, I can, in some way, I can hear you not so clear, but let me, let me know. Please. Yeah, well, the question was already answered, but it's, it's mostly as ideators. How? How important is it to work with uh, solving the climate crisis and in a way becoming ideators solves a lot of the systems problems that we're facing. But I think that's what you're already speaking, true education, true learning in a different way, learning interdisciplinary, we're able to tackle these issues and problems. So I'm, I know it's a very big question, but I'm wondering if that's something that relates, of course, going back to nature, going back to, um, to preserving what those, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned, if, if I understood correctly, you mentioned the, the word the crisis. True? Sorry? Yeah. You mentioned the word the crisis, the crisis. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, you see, let me answer part of your question as a macroeconomist. And since it correctly, very, very good, you mentioned this word, how we are facing the crisis. We are facing the crisis in terms of economic policy, economic policy, with the instruments, the tools of the Great Depression of the States, which means, as I said before, the GDP, all which revolve around the GDP a sort of a Ptolemaic world. So the PNRR, the plan for recovery, blah, 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 is based on this measure, the GDP. And this is a paradox, since the way we are, we are acting in terms of economic policy, forced, well around the GDP, has generated the crisis of a nature, the nature in crisis, 
we come to resolve the nature, the crisis in nature with the instrument of the GDP. This is a way. So the macroeconomist in the economics, in the, in the school of economics should, should change mind. Professor Stiglitz, Nobel Prize in economics, has raised the issue of how to move, to move from the GDP toward question mark. To my mind, this is a big issue since nowadays the universities, the companies, they knock the door, they knock the door of the policy makers to get the money. The plan for recovery, blah, 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 blah. But all this money, which passes from one institution to another, the flow is conducted, the, 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 the orchestra is conducted by the director called the GDP, which is the cause of the crisis. Since the amoral, amoral behavior of companies is the result of the fact that these economies they generated, these economies are almost unknown to the GDP. I come back to the point. If I replace a, 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 a loan, a middle, I replace a loan with a, a, a factory, I have lost the services of the bees, the trees and the animals, but nobody in the GDP can say how much is the value of these services. So the old, the old arms generate new victims. If we use old arms, we have new victims. And this is not good. So this is my answer has been a segment of your question. <clears throat> Thank you. Yes. Okay, Grace. Thanks very much, Piero. So I think we'll leave it there. We're coming up to the end of the hour. Um, but just to say on behalf of everyone here at the IVI, thank you very much, Professor Formica, for your excellent presentation today. Um, we were delighted to be able to host it. Um, and also thank you to everyone for attending. Um, and also to those who participated in the discussion as well, that was really interesting to hear. Um, I would say to all of you to please um, keep an eye on the IVI website. I'll just share there the various ways to keep in touch with us, um, our website, our LinkedIn and our Twitter. Um, and this is the first, as I said, in our series of, of thought leader um, seminars on digital transformation. So there'll be information up there on those channels in the coming weeks and months on the next sessions for these. So thanks again, Piero, and um, we hope to see you all here again soon. Thank you.